We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Heart Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we're going to continue yesterday's conversation. If you haven't listened to it, you don't have to uh, for this pod to be relevant, but it is a continuation of that discussion on our next head coach. And a couple of the places that we landed on. Now, we didn't really talk about anybody specific about like, oh, this should be the Lakers next head coach. But we talked about kind of the attributes necessary and the, the circumstances around the team that are maybe a little bit different than other coaching jobs and that are just very specific to the Lakers. And one of the things that we talked about was the idea that you have to have the respect of the leaders or and guys like LeBron. Now, Mike, I think there's a bit of a misconception that to have the respect of somebody like LeBron James, that you need to be a superstar coach. You need to be a big name that comes in with a certain degree of cachet. Now, I do think you have to have a certain amount of gravitas, right? You got to be able to hang. You were talking about the swagger of a guy like uh, Eric Spolstra, for example. And we talked yesterday about the two different tracks, right? Kind of the film room guy that ends up becoming a coach and then the former player and the differences between being a bit of a, a basketball geek and then a leader, right? And that the those are two of the main attributes that you look for from a coach. And again, I feel like that this conversation usually ends up in a place where, oh, that must mean the next Phil Jackson needs to come in the way that he did in 1999 to replace Del Harris got fired. Kurt Rambis was the interim coach for the rest of that season. And I don't necessarily agree with that, Mike. I think that you – in fact, I, I, I would like us to look forward more than backward. And I think that there are a lot of the coaching rumors and whatnot are guys who have been around for a long time. I don't necessarily think that needs to be the case. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, so you're right. We did hint at this yesterday, and I was almost going to go as far as to say that LeBron – wouldn't be the first thought that I had in having this next coach. And it's, it's more, it's more out of respect for LeBron because I don't know anybody in the world basketball wise, at least in terms of it's who seems to be available uh, that is going to come in and sort of know 
more about basketball than LeBron James <laughs> right. to like to the degree that it's going to impact the way that he plays next year. Like that relationship is certainly important, but I, I don't know. I just think that LeBron, he knows what to do on offense. He knows what to do on defense. It's it's to me a lot more about for LeBron who the players are around him and then how he can as the game is going on on both sides of the floor and as practices are going on and, and when they're in the film room, he can sort of work with the coach. And I just, I see that relationship as being important, but the coach to me has to sort of set the agenda for the whole rest of the roster and for the franchise and in terms of style of play and in terms of what types of players that actually fit with what that coach's vision is. And that's not to go away from Darius's point that you also want a coach that can coach multiple styles depending on if something happens to a key player within the season. So, but to me that it gets right back to that. Does this, does this coach have to be some veteran or some former all-star player that LeBron is just going to immediately respect? Like I, I think that if it's a, a really good basketball coach that has a chance to continue to get better and, and eventually be great, then that will, that will get LeBron's respect just because he's going to be able to tell what that is. I also think that respect is often earned or can always be earned. If it's already pre-established, great. Thanks. But LeBron's also at the point of his career where it's one thing to be whatever year LeBron was in at this point, year 10 or 12, when he first went back to the Cavs. It's one thing to sort of have the amount of runway he had left at that point of his career and the power that he wielded within the organization. And the idea is just like, no, 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 no. Sorry, David Blatt. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to get on board with, like, I'm going to give you a shot. And if you, and if you basically miss that one shot, right, then, then maybe I'm going to outlast you. LeBron is entering year 20 of his NBA career. Now, whatever sort, unless he's of the Tom Brady mindset, like I'll play until I'm 50, right? Then LeBron's not going to be outlasting. I would think he's not outlasting the, the next Lakers head coach. At least that should be the goal if you're the Lakers. LeBron's not going to play until he's in his 23rd or 24th or 25th season. And if you're the Lakers, you don't want to, I'm just saying that's less likely. You don't want to hire a guy and like the Lakers have been hired a new head coach every three years. Yeah. And that's its own thing that's, that can be problematic. And, and so Mike, you, you mentioned this last pod, but you're like, you know, the ultimate goal should be to find your Spolstra or like, right. The guy who can be within your organization for a decade. And then potentially after that run as a head coach, maybe, be someone who's going to be an advisor or someone who works in your front office. Like the Lakers are a family organization. They should be looking towards someone who is going to yes. be a part of their family. And I, I would think that that's important to them. We just heard rumors the other day of reports that like, oh, guess who's consulting yep. on the Lakers head coaching hire? It's Phil Jackson. Now, obviously, Phil Jackson has history with Jeannie Buss in ways that go beyond that he was the head coach for the Los Angeles Lakers for an extended period of time with multiple championships, right? And so, but that sort of person who is going to loom large into the future, that's something to me, Pete, that the Lakers have often wanted that guy. 
And, and so looking for that again, I would think should be something that's just like, okay, so to speak to Mike's point, maybe not like, oh, let's think about only LeBron James within the context of who this next hire should be, because this guy should potentially outlast LeBron. No, that's a great point. It That also speaks to like what our goals are. For me, I'm in very short-term thinking mode with, and I know that that, that can have consequences. That's also the... I think that's the deal that we got into with signing a late career LeBron James. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is that LeBron, as as norm defying as he is, is still a superstar. He was a superstar caliber player last year. And we have a chance as long as he's still a superstar. And the reason why and, and so the reason why I place so much importance on how this, the next coach fits with LeBron is not like, oh, LeBron has so much power. We got to tiptoe around him and yeah. be afraid like, oh, whatever you want, LeBron. No, 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 not that at all. But it's LeBron is the first step of the implementation of the next coach's vision or of any coach's vision that's on the team. He is part of the brain trust that is going to be on the sidelines figuring out like, OK, they're running this and they got this personnel. What if we ran this play? And, th- and there's always going to be that collaborative effort especially when your offense is built around a, a ball dominant player, right? It's not a system that we always talk about where the ball's kind of whipping around. Uh, it's like LeBron, you know, will, there will be other guys that handle the ball. But as we always say here, when it comes down to it in the biggest moments, the biggest games, the ball's still going to be in LeBron's hands and LeBron's going to be distributing. And so being that step one of the implementation to me is LeBron. To me, LeBron is step one of everybody rowing in the same direction. And if we have those short term goals of being a contender as quickly as as we can. Now, I think we did a lot of damage to that this last season and that we've got a lot of ground to cover between now and the end of the offseason. But it's possible. Right. Like and a lot of that will depend on who we acquire in terms of personnel but i think that having that that synergy between the head coach and lebron if they are on the same page i think the people after them start to get in line more and more on that right which isn't to say that like lebron and frank weren't on the same page last season or anything like that mike but i do think that we need to decide what do we want to be? And that could be like any one of like five different things, but based on who the coach is, how they sync up with LeBron, I think is the most, is a really important first step. Yeah. I can't deny that. I can't deny that. I mean, it's, it's the same reason why whoever the player is that comes in, whether it's somebody that used to be an all-star or that is a rookie, it still ends up once you get into that first practice, that player's first thought is, is LeBron James. Like, okay, well he's right here on, He's right here next to me at <laughs> the half court. What am, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to have somebody come in and just grab the reins like that. So, of course, that has to be dealt with first. And I think that to try to make a similar point from earlier, but in a slightly different way, like LeBron, if the coach that comes in is is what you're really looking for and just somebody that you love and, and wins the interview and, and really believe in, then I think LeBron will believe in that person too. Uh, like if it, regardless of what the previous rep is, but if that doesn't happen, then you may have to go to sort of a, uh, okay, well, what's going to work for right now with, with LeBron and with this roster. And, and maybe we do have to reconsider this in a year or two uh, when things might change. So I'm not just, dis- I'm not dismissing that that's something that could happen. I just think in the ideal world, with any kind of hire, you want to try to get the person that you believe in the most and think is going to be the best long term. But the fact 
there are so many factors going into this offseason, uh, which we will yeah. keep getting to, that it's it's not necessarily that simple um, with what the coach is going to be and, you know, finding that idealized version of a guy that's going to be here for a long time. So I, I think we have to acknowledge the complexity there and and be a little bit open minded uh, that that things could go in a number of different directions. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about the recent reports about Phil Jackson. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you brought this up a moment ago, D. Phil has been uh, characterized as being part of the Lakers coaching search. And, and to me, that's kind of like a no duh type of sure. thing. You know what I mean? And from the perspective now, what is an appropriate role within that? Like, what does that look like? There is a broad span of like, I'm totally fine with it to like, no, 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 that's not good. Right. Depending on how involved. And and the reason for that is not, of course, like Phil Jackson's the winningest coach in NBA history in terms of championships. And you'd be a fool to not ask his opinion. And when you build that upon the uh, upon the personal relationship, like, of course, like if, if you're in Jeannie Buss's position, hey, Phil, what do you think? about our next coach. It doesn't mean that he has to be the person that's guiding the whole thing. And maybe he is, I don't know the dynamics there, but that, so that's the pro, like you'd be dumb to not ask the winningest coach in NBA history, their opinion on who your next coach should be on one end. On the other, one of the things that I see as great NBA figures get older is the NBA is very taxing in terms of like being in the trenches and the amount of detail that you have to focus on. Boston had a big win against Milwaukee yesterday, for example, and they made a bunch of like all of these real small adjustments that you really have to be watching closely and break, you know, in the film room all of the time and, and, uh, really paying close attention. Even if you are, if, if you are as knowledgeable as a Phil Jackson and, Somebody like Phil or whomever in the in the front office currently, are they were are they watching a bunch of tape? Are they in the trenches? If they are, great. But in my experience or my observation, at the very least, as people get older, they want to enjoy their lives. They want it like Phil's in his eighties, I think now, and so the degree of detail that somebody like that is that that they are paying attention to what's currently going on and there have been some really exciting developments in the nba over the last couple of years in terms of how teams hunt each other how they uh how they switch and then trap and rotate and all of that but if you're not watching it's a different game than it was five years ago and so 
there's a certain amount of that like professor emeritus where of course you ask phil jackson for uh oh phil is 76 sorry phil um <laughs> there he's just correcting me there um but still professor emeritus territory right and that said though those guys generally aren't in the trenches so i'm curious to what degree should a phil jackson inform our coaching search so this is a super interesting question to me because the dynamics the dynamics of influence are something that always sort of just interest me like relationship dynamics and societal like sociological stuff and yeah, like how us. you how you peddle in influence how you use that influence and what you're trying to influence at all and what perspective your influence comes from in order to try to make a decision. I only go to more questions. My questions about Phil's influence are, what is he actually trying to influence? Is he trying to influence names? Like, these are people I like? Or is he trying to influence within the context of qualities? Yeah, this is what's important. Mm -hmm. These are things that we should be valuing within people based off of the answers to some of those questions that's going to influence my perspective on what i think about phil jackson being involved in the process right because you're right pete phil jackson is not in the trenches in montana i've seen him at laker games i'm sure that he's still a very well-informed basketball fan and basketball person is he up to speed on the nuances of today's game? Does he agree with the direction of today's game? How does he feel about player empowerment? Or how does that influence some of his perspectives? He's made comments in the past about LeBron James, for example, Mm -hmm. that LeBron James did not take kindly to and called him out on those, right? And so when you talk, when you start to peel back the layers of the onion, you have to take all of this into account when you bring someone else into the fold. And I think that's the sort of thing that complicates people's feelings about a report saying that Phil Jackson is going to be involved with with the coaching search. I'm not going to sit here and say Phil is good or bad because I would need to know the answers to questions that we simply don't have, right? I'm not in the room. I don't know what he's saying. I don't know how the people who he's saying it to are receiving that and how much they are going to say, yes, that that that's the most important thing. The thing that you just said, I'm going to do it that way. Is it that or is it one of seven or eight considerations that are now all thrown into the pot that are going to be a part of the thing that helps me decide on something? And I honestly don't know the answer to that. And this is the intrigue that we have as Lakers fans about the Lakers organization. But I can guarantee you, if you asked any other really interested fan about their specific team, they'd love to know the power power dynamics of their specific team as Mm -hmm. well. Now, do they think that is there as much intrigue around that nationally? There's not. Sorry, Denver Nuggets. People might care what Tim Connolly thinks, right? But no one's going to be like, oh, that's the biggest thing. And did you see who he was talking to at this thing? And look, it's not going to lead the morning shows the next morning. There yeah. he is talking to Woj. What are they talking about? What, like, right? <laughs> sure. Come on, man. That's just not how it works. And so 
this goes back to the conversation that we were having yesterday, Mike, that like the Lakers sort of live in this spotlight and the conversations around them can be quite noisy. But what I'm most focused on to me is process and how can the process be the best that it can be. And if that's like, okay, well, Phil Jackson's voice is being heard, that's fine. Like, but I don't have a lot of thoughts either way without knowing what the voice is actually saying. And I I guess that's where I settle on something like that. Yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time, you know, on that. I just because I think it's it's good and routine to an extent if Phil is involved in conversations about basketball with the Lakers. And I have some bias. I I love Phil. I mean, I I uh there was never a single as I've said before, there's never a single time that I was listening to him talk about basketball that I wasn't just sort of nodding my head and learning things and listening. Like I never saw him get caught off guard by anybody, coach, player, media member. So I, you know, he really, he's, he kind of had that reputation of being above the fray with his, it's six ten, you know, six eleven, kind of looking down. And I think about that intellectually and I like that. I know not everybody does uh, sometimes, but I always, so I always appreciated Phil. As far as coaching goes, the interesting thing about Phil and his coaching career, he didn't have that sort of coaching tree where a bunch of guys were leaving him to become head coaches elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, because he kept a lot of his lieutenants right by his side the whole time. And and it wasn't it just wasn't one of those. It wasn't he didn't view it as a, a funnel. I think he viewed it as these are the guys that have helped me win and I'd love to keep them around and love to take care of them. And so it was a lot of the same guys like it was Jim Clemens and Frank Hamblin and, you know, and Kurt, uh, certainly for a while. And I could have seen somebody like Luke Walton eventually fitting into that tree. But Luke ends up going elsewhere. And so that I, I think what my point is there, it's, it's a little bit sometimes like a star player that uh, that. When that player's on the court, it's one thing to think that their skills are going to they're going to be able to like coach a superstar, right? Like if and I wonder if a superstar coach can can coach up, you know, the next superstar coach, because the way that he sees things, the particularly unique skills that Phil has, those are not things I think you can just pass down to your assistants. You know, you can pass a system down, maybe not the, the triangles a little harder, but that to me is a little bit harder. And I think there are other coaches that probably could do that differently. And Phil to me was just always so unique that I, I just, that to me has at least factors part of what into, uh, into that is, is not having that same kind of coaching tree. I, I think you're spot on with that, Mike, in terms of like the wonk versus the leader of men to me, Phil is very much the leader of men. And he had a really unique way of going about it. That certainly does not translate. I also like, like D you pointed out in, in the chat just now, like he did have assistants venture out. Like when you win that many titles, everyone else around the league go like, yeah, who's your lead assistant. You're going to get interviews. You're going to get jobs. Pretty much every one of those guys were spectacular failures when they ventured out, when it was Rambus in Minnesota, uh, D fish in New York. Um, I believe it was Hornacek as well. Uh, Jim Clemens. Every time, like those were, and there's there's a whole pod to be had. I'm not a big triangle offense fan. Um, and there's a whole pod probably to be had about that in August or so. But let's take a break. When we come back, I want to I want to throw an idea your guys way and see what you think of it. 
So this is a name I've brought up over texts. And, um, but to me, the guy who's the intersection between the leader, the person that, that understands the culture, um, that has Lakers ties and is a bit of a film room geek and has, um, and, and, and kind of has that overall intersection of qualities is if he's done playing, I'd give serious consideration to Rondo. I think I know that it's a bit of a, a risk. I know that it's that he doesn't have, you know, years as an assistant. If there were that Phil Jackson that was taking a year off, but that superstar head coach, I would absolutely prefer that type of guy. But to me, D, Rondo checks a lot of boxes. I don't know if he's done playing, um, but there are a couple of other assistants around the league that we've heard uh, interviews with. But of all of the names I, I've heard, I hope at least he is in in our sphere of guys that we're talking about in a coaching search that I think is rightfully at a slow pace. I really like the pace of this search, and I think that it's important to have a lot of discussions and get it right. I just want to throw Rondo's name out there and, and see what you guys think. Rondo's an interesting guy. I wonder what it would be for him to jump right into coaching, right? And so almost every successful head coach has been a head coach somewhere else first in some way, shape, or form, or has at least been on a staff. Has at least been an assistant first? Sure. Yeah, like has at least been on a staff and understood all of the things that go into the work side that doesn't have to do with like coaching the game or leading a practice or whatever, right? Like a former player is definitely going to have a, a leg up in a lot of that because they've been around a team for so long and they do understand the machinations of that. If there's a player who I think has the IQ and everything else to be able to pull it off, it's a player like Rondo, but I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, serve your dues and it's not about that mm -hmm. it's about like being exposed to the job in a way that helps you do the job better for sure that's sort of just where where i'm at like if you are the first person to hire a guy as a coach and he has never served on a staff before you will get all of their highs and all of the innovations and all of the nuance and all of the freshness those are all positives. You'll get all of that. And then you'll also get all of the, oh, that's the first time I've seen that. Like, oh, wait, what do I do here? Or, sure. or how do I manage this specific situation? You get all of that too. It's a lot. And when Mike, the thing that Mike said that intrigued me about the passing down, th there is no osmosis when you're talking about like people and like people skills and how you manage and what your reaction is in a moment. If like, if you're playing a game of chess, you can learn and you can memorize. Here's the first 15 things that you should do. Or when they do this, you do this. When they do that and you do this. And you could do that for 20, 30 moves even. Yep. If you have the bandwidth in your brain to do that, you can do it. But in the big picture, if you get into a game and you're now 50 moves in or 60 moves in, guess what? Now it's instinct. Now it's like, what do I do here based off of my own decision-making? And there is no passing on your decision-making to someone else. And so when that person is in the moment, you're just living with what that person does. And so Rondo would intrigue me. He, I, I would also be like, 
oh man, you're this is the trial by fire and and you live with, like I said, all of the positives, but you get all of the drawbacks of it being like this is their first time doing it and all the missteps that, that come with that because you are going to have first time missteps. It's just how it goes. And and I don't know if you see it differently than that, Mike, but that's sort of like, okay, he could be a great candidate, but I would have my reservations with just the scenario, not necessarily with Rondo, the person, but just the scenario in general gives me pause some. Well, I've said before that, including on the last pod, that there are these two different things about a coach. And you know, Pete described it as the wonk on one side and kind of the personality in the other. And I also said like Vogel talks about Rondo in terms of having the swag. And that does make a difference in the locker room. That does mm-hmm. make a difference to be a leader uh, of men. And I think he does have the X and O aptitude, um, although that's where Rondo, it's a little bit funny sometimes when one of the smartest guys on the court makes some of the worst mistakes, you know, because it's it's like a little bit of, you know, beautiful mind type stuff. He's seeing stuff before it happens. And then even if it's not going to work, he still wants to do it just so you know that he's up there. My the thing that I would I would need to sort of hash out more before making that decision is is, you know, Rondo has kind of an extreme personality as as he's described himself. Mm-hmm. And Kobe, you know, basically called him an a-hole in a, and Kobe was just using it as a compliment in saying he's like me. And then Rondo was like, wow, that's amazing. Kobe said that. But that, you know, that type of person, I just think that that might be a tricky characteristic for a head coach and a head of an organization. And I haven't seen that have a lot of success uh, in the NBA. Now, there are, there are some exceptions, but that's a – in that spot, you have to try and find a way to connect with and relate to everybody. And I, I just don't know that that's, that's something that Rondo is even interested in doing. And, and, and so is that necessarily a bad thing? Not always. But to, to go back to the whether or not we think interesting comes in a positive or negative connotation – uh, it would yeah. definitely be it's interesting. An interesting word, isn't it? <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think I skew a little t- more toward, uh, like a hole, not necessarily being a bad thing. Phil is kind of an a hole. Popovich, you ever hear that dude in a post game interview? If if he gets the the wrong question, Lord knows you've been up close on on those mic. Like, there's a certain amount of a holery that uh, and and Frank was completely absent of this right like and so that was one of the hallmarks of the 2020 championship and i remember us remarking about it during the time mike was like this is like the least dramatic lakers title ever in terms of the along the way the internal turmoil and things like that but phil man phil would say things that like were intentionally like he was doing it on purpose, trying to piss you off. And I, I I know we're getting a little off track from Rondo here, but I think that that I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I also think he's somebody that the brain like he already has established respect. You were talking about that earlier, D, about like if you walk into the room with a certain level of respect, that's great, but not necessarily guaranteed. Now, does he have that as a coach? He does not. But as a basketball mind, D, Rondo walks in with kind of an unimpeachable, we respect how your mind works. And I think that a coaching role, like some of the on the court stuff, Mike, about like him doing beautiful mind things on the court. He was also a bit of a 
corner cutter in terms of like this is the 82 games of a regular season and maybe I'm not going to make this rotation at all and yeah. uh, I'm curious how that like lands in the locker room but I think that when you're a coach like you get a lot of the benefits of Rondo's beautiful mind and not as many of the the downsides while having a bit of that a-holish personality that I actually think we kind of need somebody to galvanize and and maybe that's just me making the mistake that Darius was talking about about like if you have one coach one way and you know you let him go you just go to the opposite end so you guys bring up really valid points um but that's kind of my counter to that is i think that he he checks some boxes in in a good way well i like the counter about the a hole ish thing and i generally like that type of person and in my life and including professionally i like somebody that's going to be really direct uh, even at the point of sometimes going over the top but there was always with Phil, and in, in we bring Phil up specifically, there was always a bit of charm with Phil uh, when he was, whatever his comment was, whether it was to a, a player or um, to a media member or something, there was a little bit of like a twinkle in the eye, you know, when he was when he was doing that. And I think that Popovich is much the same. Popovich, you if you ask him a question at the start of a press conference and even if he doesn't think it's a a bad question, it could be a perfectly good question. He might answer a certain way, but if you if you kind of just keep at it, then the wink will come, and like then the charm will come, and then the hey, okay, let, we're going to go out to dinner later. Come, so there's there's always a Popovich always sort of comes around and puts his arm around you after he yells at you, and Phil doesn't necessarily put his arm around you, but he at least he at least gives you that little twinkle, and I don't know if that's there for Rondo. Uh, it it might be like he hasn't been put in those situations, right? And it very well might be because a lot of guys really do like him. Um, but yeah, that, that that's the part of it where I would need I need the twinkle if you're going to be the a hole. And and I think that the best a holes have it. The one thing I'd say, Mike, is that Rondo's really. I feel like he's almost been preparing for a coaching gig the last few years of his playing career. There are so or many for, stories or about front office. He's as he said himself, like he he wants to run a team or yeah, and, and he never he never specified which. That's the thing about this too is that this is something he's been very direct about. Like this is a goal of his for the future, and the people that he has worked with, and which have in most instances been younger guys, they're like they swear by Rondo, right? Like they're like this guy has helped me so much. Now that's a different thing developing a young player and helping them get better and and find their spot in the NBA than coaching in a team that has NBA title aspirations. I, I totally get that. But I Mike's point is spot on. You can't just be a jerk. There has to be you have to galvanize. You have to bring people together ultimately. And there are different methods of doing that, of which Phil's was one way. Pat Riley's was another way. Popovich is another. But there are different ways to do it. And I think that Rondo is capable of that with this particular group of people. The thing I'll say about any successful coach or any successful leader is that there's never only one way. There's never only one tool. And mm -hmm. they and good leaders understand that reaching multiple people requires different approaches. And so during The Last Dance, the documentary that Michael Jordan did for the Chicago Bulls in his last season there, they showed a lot and talked a lot about Phil and his approach. And Phil was basically like, yep, guess what? Different rules for Rodman. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's going to be late. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He wants vacation. No, I understand. We're on a road trip. And he's just going to leave. <laughs> Go to we'll Atlantic City or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll manage it. 
a good coach is going to understand that I I reach this player this way. I reach this other player a different way. I'm going to be hard driving with this other guy and maybe softer with this other guy. And there is an intuitiveness about coaching that it really is a people job. It's like, how do you manage people and how do you relate to people and how do you connect with people in order to get the best out of them? How do you build consensus? How do you then get multiple people to do the same thing that you want them to do all of the time or as much as they possibly can? And that's coaching, right? The schematic part, all, all of that, that will, that's all a piece of it too. Sure. But it's all connected. It's this massive web and all of these strings they all connect in and they all align. The thing I will say about Rondo specifically is that he he fits a very specific profile to me, at least. A lot of coaches who are four former players, they were point guards. Mm-hmm. Doc Rivers was a point guard. Chauncey Billups was a point guard. Jason Kidd's Kid. a point guard. Yep. Steve Nash is a point guard. You can go on and down the line. A lot of former players, they're point guards. They're the point guards or they're role players. Right. It's very rare that you see like, oh, the superstar center who is now a head coach. Now, those guys do exist. Right. Like Patrick Ewing's a head coach right now. And there are a lot of guys who get into it, but there's a profile in terms of players. And and so like when you talk about like the Udokas and and the Luke Walton and guys and Willie Green, those guys were the role play like they're the role player archetype. Right. But if you were a point guard. Point guards often get the benefit of the doubt as being coaches because they were the floor generals. They were the extension of the head coach on the floor. That's the sort of moniker that they've often been given as a player, right? And so a lot of people see that as a transferable skill. So Rondo already has that sort of like positive bias in which a lot of people carry that bias. He's got that going for him. That communication piece that Mike is talking about and that you mentioned too, Pete, about that being the a-hole and how you connect with people, a lot of people enjoy sarcasm and directness and a little bit of ribbing and joking and and like, like no, I'm going to insult you in order to get the best out of you. That's like some machismo locker room shit that I think yep. we've all experienced yep. by playing sports at different parts of our lives. You haven't sold me on Rondo as like, oh, yeah, let's hire Rajon Rondo, right? Sure, like, sure. No, right? it's a conversation and, to be had. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I don't think that was the point of you for, for bringing him up, but it is a conversation point that I think is worth exploring further within the context of the larger idea of what the Lakers should be looking for in their next head coach, because you do want a little bit of that. And that idea of like, oh, okay, like, yeah, look at this dude. He could walk into any room and at least you're like, huh. I get it. Like whatever you're selling, I'm at least going to listen. Right now, whether you convince me is a different thing, but but I'll at least listen. The the only other point I want to make about the point guard and or role player head coaches, I think that those guys are just sometimes more likely to love and be obsessed with basketball because of their hype in some sense, like or like they're still in it. Where as opposed to the either the superstar or the guy that it came crazily easy to or the guy that's seven foot, right? So I think that's just a, a little bit of a part of it. But you're right. Also also the fact that you, you know, the X's and O's translate from the head coach to the point guard. 
For sure. And I think that in some ways, like one of the reasons I think Udoka and Green have had success is like Udoka, for example, that's a team of physical wings. That's what Udoka was as a player, you know, like in terms of getting the most out of what he had. And he wasn't the most talented guy by any means, but he was a good physical wing player that did everything right, which is why he was a rotation player for Greg Popovich and then spent, you know, several years in that environment. And so how does Boston play? They're physical wings that pay attention to the details. And I think that having a Rondo LeBron, like that's already worked in terms of figuring out things in real time. That's already worked in some sense. And so anyway, I just wanted to to bring him up. He's probably my favorite of all of the names that are out there um but then again i haven't heard him like linked to the lakers necessarily so i will also say pete that we know the most about him and yeah, so it's easier to, so it's easier sure. to connect to that idea because it's just like oh yeah darvin ham oh 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 okay sure he was here a while back right like right. And we know a little about him yeah but, you know, so almost every other name is going to be, but there'll be plenty of time to talk about plenty of names. But but I'm just saying, I just wanted to make that point. No, no, that's absolutely the case. And I think in some ways that that does matter. So um, anyway, this has been fun. Uh, we're going to have one more episode this week for tomorrow. I think we're going to do a mailbag to wrap up the week. So until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.